Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We've got a good show for you guys today. I will be joined later by Josh Kendall of The Athletic, and we're going to be going through our top five storylines heading into training camp. Not a new idea by any means. Pretty much any podcast that you guys are listening to has probably done some form or fashion of this, but I think it was a really good conversation. Um, We just kind of went back and forth. Uh, I was surprised we didn't have a lot of overlapping storylines, which is a good thing because it means that we are able to touch on a lot of different topics. So we will get into that for the bulk of today's podcast. But first, let's hear from today's sponsor. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Wimbledon Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Training camp is right around the corner after all. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, before we get to Josh, I just I wrote down a couple of notes because and we touch on this in our conversation, um, the quarterback situation here in Atlanta. Obviously, Marcus Mariota is now kind of the the new. um, Well, certainly right now, the new starter. Seems like the thought is that he's going to be a little bit of a bridge quarterback, and that makes sense. I mean, even if he comes here and, and really kind of lights it up, Best case scenario in year one, but it just performs well in year one. I think this job is is going to be his for a little while. And I do think that we're going to see Desmond Ritter at some point this season because the team does have some sort of obligation. Obligation is a strong word, but they should have a desire to see what they got in their third round quarterback in their rookie quarterback. You know, the, the first um, real kind of genuine quarterback selection this team has made since Matt Ryan in 2008. So I do think that they have kind of a, or should have a desire to see what they got in Desmond Ritter out there on the field, but they can do that at practice. They can do that at training camp. Like the team knows much more about what they have in Desmond Ritter at this point than we do. And so all we're doing really is, is kind of, yeah, definitely it's just speculating. It's, it's when will we see Desmond Ritter because it's exciting. It's new. He's the he's the new toy here in town. But there are just so many factors that we are not privy to that will all play a part in when Desmond Ritter actually sees meaningful snaps in a real NFL game that counts. Um, and I mean, just kind of at the top of that list is how is Marcus Mariota playing? Because if he comes out and, and we covered the first seven games in this schedule for Atlanta, brutal, really, really tough. You know, the, the easiest games there are week one against New Orleans, which is not an easy game. 
And then week three against Seattle, which is on the road and it's a West Coast swing. I assume that the team will probably stay out there on the West Coast because they've got the Rams and then they've got Seattle back to back. So, you know, just those aren't easy games by any stretch of the imagination is my point. But if Marcus Mariota is struggling, then the decision becomes, all right, do we want to throw Desmond Ritter out there against Cincinnati, against Cleveland, against good teams? Or should we try to keep this thing going as long as we can and get to a more manageable part of the schedule? That, of course, depends on Desmond Ritter himself. These quarterbacks, we, we love to talk about quarterbacks as though they are just as, as though it's not a real thing, as though these aren't real people. Not everything is cookie cutter. You know, Matt Ryan came in in an era where the, the reigning thought in the land was you let your quarterback sit for a year. They have to learn. They have to develop. It's just too soon for a player to come in as a rookie and lead an NFL team. Matt Ryan led an NFL team as a rookie to the playoffs. So and and a team that was coming off of historically bad kind of franchise uh, a management at that point. Dobby Petrino years, all of it, Michael Vick, like this was an organization that was at one of the lowest lows in kind of the, the league's recent memory. And Matt Ryan stepped right in. He, he didn't do it alone. You know, I think Thomas Dimitrov's first year, the moves that he made that offseason, obviously Michael Turner, the big one, but he did it. He was able to lead this team to the playoffs. Matt Ryan and Desmond Ritter are two completely different human beings. That's not to say that Desmond Ritter doesn't have some of the same special sauce that made Matt Ryan great here in Atlanta, but it just means that they're two different guys and that we should look at Desmond Ritter as Desmond Ritter. And what we've heard so far, he's picked up the playbook exceptionally fast. He even said himself that he was a little surprised. He thought it would be harder. And that's great. That's awesome. You know, if, if he feels like he is ahead of the curve and the coaching staff feels like he is ahead of the curve mentally, Awesome. Great start to your NFL career, but we need to see that out there on the field. My questions about Desmond Ritter coming in didn't really have anything to do with his mental makeup, his leadership ability. It's really just consistency in terms of putting the ball exactly where it needs to be on every single throw. And that's something that Matt Ryan did uh, about as well as anybody in the league is, is he would put the ball exactly kind of where it needed to be. Um, and, and sometimes that's leading a receiver upfield so they can make the catch and make the turn. Sometimes it's protecting a receiver so they don't take a huge hit based on kind of a, a little bit of an off target throw. So I, I, that's the stuff that Atlanta is going to really be looking to see. How does it improve? And again, while it's notable that they are hyping up and, and making a point to praise Desmond Ritter's mental acuity so far. I need to start seeing them say, man, he's putting the ball on the money every single time. And he looks the part of a potential franchise quarterback. Um, And and it's going to take time, but this is all going to play into it. It's not just, wow, the Falcons are 0-4 and and Marcus Mariota only has three touchdown passes through four games. That'll be part of it. You know, uh, certainly public pressure. If if Mariota does struggle out of the gate, it's going to ramp up. But how well does Desmond Ritter handle adversity? If he handles it really well, if that's something the team has seen that he can bounce back from a bad practice day and have a great one the next day, like all of that stuff, then maybe they're more comfortable working him into the lineup sooner. If that's not something that, you know, he's really shown the team yet, doesn't mean he doesn't have it. It just means that the team might wait for a more suitable situation where 
you know, maybe Desmond's going to get a win on his first time starting and boost his confidence a little bit. This is all part of that cosmic gumbo that comes into play when you're trying to make a massive franchise, potentially altering decision like the quarterback. And I, you know, I, I just think, and I, I say this knowing full well that I just spent five minutes on this topic. It's just too soon, guys. It, a lot of this is in Desmond Ritter's hands. He said that he was had a plan in place to come in, unseat the starter. That's exactly the opportunity that he's got in front of him. But it's in his hands and and no kind of willing on the fan base's part and the media's part to see Desmond Ritter. When are we going to see him? It could be a long season. It could be uh, a while before we actually see him out there. I hope it's not. And I hope that he comes in and, and he plays well. I hope Marcus Mariota plays well. I'm kind of really excited to actually see what Marcus Mariota can do in this offense. I just think that because of the quarterback situation at play, Neither of these guys are Matt Ryan. I don't think the team's going to ask them to be Matt Ryan. The Falcons last year I saw on PFF were, I think, 10th in the league in terms of first down uh, pass rate. When Arthur Smith was in Tennessee, that number, they were like 30th in the league in first down pass rate. Now, obviously, they had Derrick Henry in Tennessee, which is something they do not have here in Atlanta. But I would not be surprised if in 2022, we see that number in particular creep closer back towards maybe your low teens, your 20s, because this is going to be a Falcons unit that looks much more like the 2011 offense that we saw in our flashback episode that we just did with Mike Rothstein. I think it's going to be much more team oriented. I think they're going to rely on the run game a bit more than they did because they don't have Matt Ryan's arm to just sit back and rely on. So it's not going to be 2012. It's not going to be 2016. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for the Falcons. I think that the best version of this offense should be very well-rounded and, and obviously balanced, but I'm just here trying to manage some expectations. I, I don't think that we're going to see Desmond Ritter in week four and have him start, you know, 14 games during his rookie season. It could be much later, you know, could be second half of the season. So be patient. Training camp is obviously going to be focused very heavily on the quarterback situation on Desmond Ritter in particular, but this isn't something where you should live and die on every single practice report about the quarterback position because a lot of things are going to go into play and we're only going to be privy to very few of them. Josh Kendall, the reporter for The Athletic, who does a great job covering the Atlanta Falcons, now joins me. Josh, how are you doing, man? Good. How are you, eh? I'm doing well. Uh, the heat is breaking a little bit, which... I know it doesn't do you any good because you're not out there at practice anymore <laughs> right now, but um, it's, it's it's been nice. It has been nice. So hopefully, you know, we're recording this uh, July 1st before 4th of July weekend, um, but this will go up after 4th of July. So hopefully the weather stays great. Everybody can enjoy a nice long weekend uh, as we have a little bit of dip in football action. But you and I are here to fill that void to some degree. And what we're going to do is is just go back and forth sharing our top five uh, training camp or storylines heading into training camp or just training camp related storylines um, that, you know, may not be resolved for some time to come. But I thought that this would be a good exercise because you obviously having been up there for the past several months covering the team in person, you're going to have a little bit more, I think, nuanced detail than, than I might have, whereas I'm kind of coming to this as bigger picture, just what needs to get fixed based on what we saw last year, what needs to be probably resolved heading into the season. So I thought you'd be great to uh, to do this with me. So how does that sound? 
Sounds good. Should be fun. Sweet. So uh, let's kick things off and let's start with your number five storyline heading into training camp. My number five is random and it's probably, it's very specific to me, maybe, but I'm going to go with it anyway. And it's Troy Anderson. And I say it's nice. very specific to me because I'm not, sh- I don't honestly expect Troy Anderson to have a huge impact on the 2022 season. I think he's a little raw for that. But he's such an interesting prospect. I'm a writer. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for the story. You know, the Montana Dairy Farm kid who played five positions at Montana State and is now trying to make it in the NFL. I I, I am I understand that I'm my judgment is clouded because I, I want that story to play out um, <laughs> to the end. But but the guy actually is a excellent athlete. I mean, he is a potentially a generational athlete and could be a really good linebacker, middle linebacker for this team for a long time. So what I want to know about Troy Anderson sitting here today is, is he just a great story or could he actually be a great linebacker? And I think we'll start when the full pads are on, when they're in training camp, when they're hitting, when it's all live, we'll start getting a sense of that. He's going to have, he's got to catch up on his technique he, what I want to see is how quick he reacts at this level at that position. He's got a real broad-based understanding of the game because he's played so many positions, but he's real inexperienced at linebacker. So how, you know, wh- wh- where does he average out in terms of being ready, understanding what he sees, being able to react mentally as well as he can react physically? I think we start to see some of that this training camp. I think that's a great one uh, because Troy Anderson is maybe the most intriguing player in this draft class for Atlanta because of the reasons you laid out incredibly athletic. And he reminded me a lot when they took him of Devondre Campbell, who they selected in 2016 in, uh, you know, I believe the the fifth round. And it was just kind of seen as a toolsy project player where maybe he's a little bit behind in his instincts and read and react ability. But if he can figure it all out, he obviously had an all pro season last year. Unfortunately, it wasn't here in Atlanta, but Troy Anderson seems like he's got all of the athletic tools he would want. And weirdly, a a big, long body. You know, I I don't think he gets a lot of credit for you. We talk about the the way the NFL game has changed, especially on defense with length and size and coupled with amazing athleticism. And he has that kind of in an underrated way. So I think that's a great one to get uh, get that kicked off. My number five also involves a linebacker. Now, for some people, This could be their number one storyline heading into training camp because he's a well-known player around these parts. But I just kind of feel like some resolution could come before or at the start of training camp to this. And that will be with Deion Jones. Uh, And Josh, I feel like you're probably better equipped actually to lay out the Deion Jones situation for everybody. So would you mind doing that for us? Well, I think what's interesting about this, and I'm glad you put him on the list, because what's interesting to me is I didn't put him on, he's nowhere on my list. Yeah. And the reason he's nowhere on my list is because I've moved on in my head. And the, <laughs> reason, and the reason that I have is because I believe the Falcons have. I, I don't think that he is part, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not sure they really want him on this team. And I, I, I don't believe at all that he's part of the, future that they see in terms of this unit that they're building for not just 22, but 23, 24, whether he's on the roster in 22 is a large function of contract 
of, you know, can you find a trade partner, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, he was the second leading tackler on this team last year. He's still got really good athletic skills. Mm -hmm. He has value here or somewhere else, but I just don't think he's a good fit with Arthur Smith and what they want to build here. I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that they think his heart is necessarily all in it. That's, this is me, you know, putting, you know, kind of what I think on them. So I don't want to put words in their mouth. This is just my, my impression of things. So I I think that they are kind of in a post Dion world. So in my head, I'm in a post Dion world. That doesn't mean he won't be a starting middle linebacker for this team, especially early in the season, because he is, you know, their biggest cap hit guy at this point. He is a good football player. Somebody's got to play there. I just said I don't think Troy Anderson's ready to step in and be a starting linebacker in this league. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Deion Jones, but if it is, I think that they're always going to have one eye on how quickly can they make it not be Deion Jones. I really think that, weirdly, one of the most impactful things that happened to Atlanta, not even that Atlanta did, was Jacksonville giving Foye Lewican the contract that they did. Because yeah. I, I really kind of feel like, and again, this is just me kind of reading the tea leaves and, and what's played afterwards, but it seemed like their preference would have been to keep Foyer on that interior linebacker group and figure out what to do with Dion. And then no longer having Foyer in the in the mix, you know, that now they're they're left potentially having to keep Dion on this roster because people have talked about you can't cut him, but I, I just don't think the savings are worth that type of roster hole that they would open up because they don't have a player ready to fill in for Deion Jones. But I I think everything that you said is, is spot on in terms of he never ascended into that kind of leadership role early on in his career after becoming a leader on the field defensively in terms of his play. I don't think he ever took that step in the locker room that the coaching staff was hoping for. And then this new regime doesn't really have any ties to him. Uh, You know, unfortunately probably for the Falcons and for Deion Jones, the Cowboys, you know, they're different players, but Micah Parsons being there really doesn't give Dan Quinn any need for a player like right. Deion Jones. So the number of trade partners, I think, are, are, are dwindling um, potentially. And, and then you mentioned the contract, just a, a really interesting contract to look at structurally. But that makes it kind of it, it decentivizes some teams for for trading for him. And, and it just hurts the Falcons ability to full on cut. I think right, they, don't Jones. Of, they don't get a lot of benefit from just straight cutting him. So yeah, it's, it'll, exactly. it will be interested, interesting logistically how it plays out, but I think it's in the process of playing out. All right. So uh, what is your number four storyline then heading into training camp? Pass rush. So, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, I, I come from a background of covering college football for 20 years and I assume it's the same in the NFL. I just don't have enough experience to know. But when you're in a college town, all anybody wants to know in August in the preseason is how do they look? How do they look? How do they look? And my standard answer is, I don't know. They're just practicing. I can't tell. (laughs) I mean, what what am I supposed to, how am I supposed to know? And so I say that to say, I don't know that we're going to get an answer to do Lorenzo Carter and and Arnold Ibaketti are they the answer? Are they going to fix the pass rush? But we'll get some sense of from Dean Pease, from those guys, of comfort level, of how much he feels like he's going to be able to open up the playbook. 
Dean did not was not able to do the things he likes to do very well at all last year. It frustrated him. It handcuffed him. They have changed the personnel so that they have that potential with Lorenzo Carter, who you know you can look at any way you want to. You can look at it as a guy who has got all the athletic skills, came into the league pretty ballyhooed, closed strong last year, and feel really good. Or you can look at a guy who hasn't necess- you know, hasn't had any real consistency or product production throughout his career. Who is he in this offense? We'll see. Arnold Lebakiti's a guy I really liked. I thought he might sneak into the back of the first round. So I think mm-hmm. he's got everything you want at that position. Does that mean that they will produce more pass rush than last year's team? Almost certainly because last year's team was so bad. But how well does it fit? How well do they fit? How well do they pick up Dean's system? How comfortable does Dean feel putting them in the types of positions that he's put guys in in the past? That's what I want to. That's as much what I want to see as anything is is the comfort level between him. D'Angelo Malone fits in this conversation a little bit, and Adi Ogundeji. I mean, I, I think that Adi played well last year. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about him. How do you think? Because I could see him being the strong side outside linebacker probably early on. Uh, for this defense, just because of the way he he mixes with Lorenzo and then Arnold, they're they're a little more similar to me, and Ade can can hold up against the run a little bit better. I have the same question about Ade and and as I do about uh, say a Taquan Graham, which hmm. is did he play did, did he get into the lineup a lot as a rookie because he showed some flashes, or did he get in the lineup a lot as a rookie because? They just didn't have any other options. I mean, did the Falcons yeah. just dislike Dante Fowler's play so much that Adi got more snaps than they thought he would as a fifth round back? Because by the end of the year, he was there starting. He was starting on the outside. Adi was. Right. He's got big, long arms. I mean, he's got the physical tools. You look at him, and you could certainly see a guy who could be very productive. So, I, you know, I, I should throw D'Angelo Malone and Adi into that conversation because that foursome um, is so much different looks and plays so much different than the four than the the ones they the guys they had last year so i'm interested to see how that looks on the field that's a perfect number four though because it segues beautifully into what my number four was but but with a different twist because i've got kind of as a two-parter how does the safety situation unfold and how much is dean pease able to do what he wants to do in year two as a result because i i think that Defenses in this league, you know, the the fronts and the back end are so tied together, but some teams, I think, prefer to really force their will with their fronts, you know, with with their pass rushers, with kind of their their front four and front seven to some degree. But then I do think others really like to mess with the quarterbacks using the secondary as kind of their key to unlock what the rest of the defense does. And I think Dean Pease falls into that latter category where he likes to rotate these safeties. He likes to, you know, get one look pre-snap and then all of a sudden shift to another one post-snap. And a lot of that relies on intelligent safety play, versatile safety play. Um, and then, you know, obviously having the athletes to, to do it up front when you're blitzing, things like that. But the safeties last year made a lot of sense when they brought in Ron Harmon, Eric Harris, because those were veterans who were going to be able to probably pick up a scheme quicker than a Richie Grant or Jalen Hawkins. But but now it seems like the redshirt year is off for Richie Grant. He's had that. Now it's it's time for him to go. Jalen Hawkins coming into year three, I have high expectations for him because I think that he has flashed, kind of like Michael Walker, a similar, you know, going into year three as well. They came in together, but 
haven't really gotten a full run on the field. So I'm just curious to see how all of that shakes out. And then, of course, Eric Harris is still there, but their progression, I think, could be huge for allowing Dean Pease more freedom to do what he wanted to do maybe last year that he couldn't. And then on top of that, just the way the NFL is evolving with more teams being in five in in nickel essentially all the time, but now a preference of maybe three safety looks because you can add a bigger box player who could still potentially cover somebody coming out of the slot. So the Falcons have a lot of tools to work with there. Um, So the safety situation kind of for the same reasons your outside linebacker, like how much does that allow the defense to be the defense that Dean Pease has in mind? Well, this, this rolls in because I've thought about Grant and Hawkins too. So this rolls into my number three. So I'll just move it ahead to my number three because my number three is, is kind of whatever, however you want to call it. The next step guys, the it's time guys, Richard Grant, Jalen Hawkins, Michael Walker, you mentioned one of them, Marlon Davidson, Quan mm-hmm. Graham. I mean, these are guys who it's time now to show whether you are going to be a part of this team's future and a long-term NFL player, or you're just a guy who's going to be, you know, play the average three, four years or whatever. So um, you mentioned the safeties. You're right. It's time for Richie Grant now to play like a second round pick. Um, you spend a lot of any time around Richie Grant, you end up rooting for him. He's just an effervescent guy. You know, mm-hmm. I hope he plays well. I'm with you on Jalen Hawkins. I think Jalen Hawkins played well last year. Dean P said he considered him a starter, you know, a starter quality player last year. So at what point, I mean, will this team start with Eric Harris and Dean Marlowe at safety? Will it start with Eric Harris and one of the younger guys? At, at some point, I think for the plan to be progressing as Atlanta would like, your starting safeties need to be Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins. That's what that kind mm-hmm. of for me needs to happen this year. At some point, yeah. On the defensive line, Marlon Davidson to Quan Graham, you know, unless this team goes out and signs another tackle to play next to Jarrett to to um Grady. Grady Jarrett. Well, I don't know how I blanked on Grady Jarrett's name. <laughs> Those guys are gonna have plenty of opportunity and are going to need to play well. Marlon Davidson is a guy that I remember in college and he could ruin he could ruin your day. He was such a fascinating because he had such great flexibility for right. somebody that size off of the edge, which I right. was so intrigued to see move inside. Sorry, continue. No, you're right. So but we ha- we haven't seen that. Now obviously right. that's a hard transition to make. I'm not I'm not you know, shaking my finger at Marlon Davidson, but it's time now for him to show that at this level. Taquan Graham, who I think off the top of my head started five games, can he mm-hmm. take another step? Michael Walker, you know, he's we had the Troy Anderson, Deion Jones conversation. We didn't mention Michael Walker there, but is he is he going to take a step? Is he going to be a starter for the 2025 Atlanta Falcons or not? I think that those five guys that that I talked about, you know, 2022 is going to be a very interesting year. And I think the Falcons could be a fun team to watch if things fall right. But I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. So I think if you're a Falcons fan and I think if you're a Falcons management, you you, you do have to spend some time thinking. Arthur Smith says, we know, we don't tank. And I understand that. That's fine. But you do need to spend some energy thinking about what the 2023 and your 2024 teams look like because yeah. that's where you – you need to try to be good. That's where you realistically could be good. And those five guys that I mentioned, I think are playing this year to determine what, if any spot they have in those rotations. And that's where the, or that's my number three is those five, make it, make it or break it guys or whatever. 
Well, it's funny. I actually recently wrote a piece. Uh, it may have been published earlier this week for the Falcolic, but I called them my now or never guys, right. which may be a little harsh, but no, that's but essentially the, the, the theme, right? It, it's yeah. either, you, hey, you're either going to show it this year or, or now we have to assume that you never will, uh, right. at least in Atlanta. So uh, right on. And a lot of those guys were, were on that list. But I think what you're, what you're talking to is kind of the cohesion that a front office needs to have with the coaching staff. Because I'm sure, you know, Terry Fontenot wouldn't have been thrilled that Richie Grant, his second round pick, essentially sat most of the year last year. Like that's, high, that's a high draft pick. And it doesn't necessarily reflect well on the GM if the coaching staff then isn't on board with that pick. But if the plan was, we know that this guy's probably going to take a little bit of time to learn. We're willing to give him that. Now we need to see what he's got. That would speak to me to a much stronger relationship with the front office and the coaching staff and would maybe bode well for the future if they if we see evidence of them thinking in that way this fall from a coaching perspective of, okay, what is the right mixture of getting the young guys the reps that they need now so that we have a clear answer in the 2023 offseason to know, is this guy a piece? Is he not? And how do we uh, move on? So great, great number three from you. My number three. Uh, I just wrote down Felipe Franks because I, I I'm just it's fascinated. Yeah. I don't yeah. think anything big. Like I'm not trying to to do a whole like radio segment where like what can Felipe Franks be because I don't think the answer to that is is anything substantial. But I do think we're in a little bit of an NFL era where coaches are willing to throw a lot of different stuff at the wall just to see what sticks. You know, we're in a little bit of like. Uh, like ingenuity time uh, because we're seeing players like Debo Samuel or everybody loves to throw out the Taysom Hill type of comp. But but that's because it's it's a decent comp. If Felipe Franks can become a player where you can find three, four, five different ways just to get the ball in his hands in maybe a unique way, then that's something defenses are going to have to focus on in their in their game prep. And that's, you know, yeah. two hours less than they're going to be able to stand to spend, you know, watching Kyle Pitts red zone film or whatever. And so I, I just think that that's a little bit of a wrinkle for a coach who last year impressed me with his ability to kind of utilize wrinkles in the games like formation uh, and personnel groupings and just manipulating that a little bit to keep defenses off balance. I like that this is another little bit of a wrinkle that it seems like he's willing to introduce into this offense. It may go nowhere. This may just be a whole OTA training camp storyline that, that we talk about. And then he's your third string quarterback. Right. <laughs> like there, that's very real. But I'm just curious to see in training camp what actually becomes of this. I, I agree with you. I think it's very interesting. And I think that, you know, Felipe Franks is legitimately a quarterback. I'm not saying he's an NFL quarterback and is ever going to be a starter or even a number two NFL quarterback. But right. he can throw the football. And it does give you something potentially dynamic depending on if you can get him in the rotation. What did he play five snaps last year? What was the final number? Yeah. It just in like, it was, it was less than 10, but it was all out of wildcat basically. Yeah. So if you can get him, if you can get him on the field enough and enough interesting positions that, that you can lull some people to sleep and, and, and like you say, give them something else to think about that is a legitimate threat, not just, Hey, the other quarterback is lined up out there on the wing Pay right. attention to him for one second. But if you can make it a legitimate threat, yeah, I think that would be fun to watch. And I think that would be a benefit to the Falcons. Yeah. And I, again, I, I don't think that's going to be anything um, crazy or, or substantial, but dude's like 6'6", six, six, right? <laughs> he's oh, huge. Yeah. So he, he's, he can play he the looks part. looks like a tight end. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be Trey Burton, but if, if they need, if they get back to the Super Bowl and they need somebody to throw a, a floating touchdown pass to whoever the quarterback is at that time, maybe Felipe is your guy. So that's my number three. What is your number two, Josh? My number two is, and, and this will change after week one, but I'm interested to see what the roster construction looks like when they hit the 53, when they cut to the 53, what does the roster construction look like at wide receiver, running back, and tight end? And this is a little mm-hmm. bit of a Felipe Franks question because in my, I'm going to look at my notes here, my little, you know, post, post OTAs, post meeting camp, um, 53. I just went with, I went back and looked at the numbers that they carried into the season last year, their, their first 53 last year. That was seven wide receivers, three tight ends, and where are my running backs? I'm going to look up here for my running backs. Four running backs, including including Keith Smith. But are there seven wide receivers on this roster, on this 90-man roster, that, that are NFL ready to contribute? Do you uh, carry four awesome. tight ends? Like the three tight ends I've got them carrying are Pitts, Ferkser, and John Fitzpatrick. But – you don't see Parker Hesse, who they like, and, and you know, is an mm-hmm. interesting player. You don't see John Rain on that list. In my mind, I started them with three tight ends because I think Felipe Franks could be your fourth tight end in some in some random situations. Yeah. Running back, Cordero Patterson. How much running back does Cordero Patterson play? Will they play him more at receiver this year if Algier steps up? If Cordero I mean they they are really clearly putting some significant thought into Cordero's workload and yep. the the wear and tear on Cordero's body. I looked at the numbers today because I was doing something else. He had 205 receptions and carries last year. His previous career high in the NFL was 85. So he's a That's 31-year-old a workload, yeah. guy coming off double the workload that he's ever had in his NFL career. He averaged – I think I've got this number right, 31 yards from scrimmage in the final five games last year. He clearly declined. So they're going to be really careful with the workload they give him. Does that mean they're just waiting for the first time that they feel like Tyler Algier can carry the load and he's your starting kind of workhorse back and Cordero is something different, whether he plays some more. So so if Cordero is going to play some more wide receiver to keep him on the field, but to keep the, the, the wear and tear lower, yeah, you know, then Geron- you don't really need Geronimo Allison, who was kind of my seventh guy making this roster. So I think the numbers that they keep there, the number of wide receivers, the number of tight ends, the number of backs, and which backs they keep, will tell us something about how they plan to use people and what they plan to and what they think they'll look like. It's it's really fascinating, and that's a good one because I'm trying to. Sometimes, and I remember having a conversation with Dan Quinn about this, but this was when the Falcons were cut. I mean, it was maybe going into the 2018 offseason. Like the Falcons were back-to-back playoff teams, were a year removed from a Super Bowl run. Like they had a roster they were excited about. And I was just asking him exactly about the roster construction and how do you go about making some of these tough calls or we keep three tight ends versus four tight ends or what have you. And special teams was the answer he gave. And a lot of these guys, your fullbacks, your tight ends, your running backs, your receivers, like they're going to be your gunners on special teams, or they're going to be on your kickoff coverage unit or your return units. Like, so sometimes that plays a factor, but when you're a team that's not expecting to compete and you don't really know who your guys are, 
Do you think it's a better plan for them to just say, we think that we're better at running backs, so we're going to keep five running backs, and we don't think we're very good at receivers, so we're going to keep like six receivers? Or do you think it's still better just to say, this is the best roster construction to give us success in 2022? Should they look for just who are the most talented guys who could maybe be an answer in 2024? Or should they try to, to make a roster for this year? No, I think if they have questions about guys and strengths and potentials to contribute in 20, 2023, 2024, that that needs to be your priority over who is going to be the third guy on the left on kickoff return. You know, I, you know, yeah. figure that out. Somebody can handle, somebody can do that okay. Um, but, but I do think you need to err in that specific instance. I think you need to err toward, um, and, and, it, and it has to be, not just for nothing, but if you have a legitimate <laughs> right. question about, we, we do need to know more about this guy because we do think, I mean, it's, if if Avery Williams, I don't think Avery Williams is going to be on the 53 man. I, I don't like the way it's, things are training for Avery Williams. But if you think Avery Williams, boy, that guy is going to be a dynamic punt returner and we think he could be a really interesting third down back, let's keep him around and see if we're right as a, mm-hmm. as a fifth running back. Yeah, I think that that's a decision you need to make. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that point. Um, so my number two heading into uh, training camp is just the interior offensive line situation. And specifically, yeah. you know, I'm not talking about Chris Lindstrom, but <laughs> I was I was reading through your um, your training camp positional previews, which are up on The Athletic, and I would recommend everybody going to to check out. But I loved this so much. Your your uh, your theory, your hot take that Jalen Mayfield's rookie season was actually a great thing, um, because I I agree. I'll let you explain it. Well, no, I mean, I, you know, Arthur Smith is a guy who just really I mean, first of all, he's got a soft spot. If he has any soft spots, there's one for offensive linemen. And he really likes guys who just. Eat dirt and don't complain. <laughs> if, if you and Jalen Mayfield ate just ate a lot of crap last year. I mean, he did not play well. He was thrown into a tough position, and it did not go well. And he did not complain, and he did not pout, and he just lined up and tried to do better every week, and got a little bit better, but was never great. That I can promise you earned him some clout with the head coach. Now, that doesn't carry you very far, but it gives you something. It gives you another chance. So if you get better on your technique, if you get stronger, if you get more comfortable at guard, you know, I I haven't given up on Jalen Mayfield yet, and I don't think the Falcons have. Um, this is still a mm-hmm. guy who was really well regarded um, coming out of Michigan. I think he could be a solid – I think he can be a guy that you can win with at guard in the NFL. I'm not saying he will, but I think he could be. And I think that the Falcons like the way, like the way he approaches things and are going to give him – a chance to prove it because of that. I completely agree, which is why I'm mostly talking about Matt Hennessy and, and Drew Dahlman in this conversation. But, you know, I, I did feel like a lot of people are going to ask about Jalen Mayfield because it, it makes sense. You know, it, everybody saw how poorly he played, but you're right. You're right. Coaches understand if they're putting a player in, in like in a non-ideal situation. And I think they understand that they didn't necessarily put Jalen in the best situation to succeed last year, but he handled it. He like he didn't handle it necessarily well all the time, but he went out and he did his best every single week. And I think that that speaks volume. So I really do. I would be shocked if he's not 
kind of your day one starter going in um, because I think they want to give him that not a reward necessarily, but I think that they owe, they feel maybe they owe it to him to let him try to get better, see Wait, what so, he can yeah. do. Just, he, he, just give yeah. him a chance to see. Yeah, exactly. So, so then Drew Dahlman and Matt Hennessy, I, they're very similar players, which I know you noted on in, in that piece. So I think it really, it could be anybody's game. The fact that they started to go back into a rotation a little bit towards the end of the season, I think bodes better for Drew Dahlman. Um, but who knows, Matt Hennessy is, has an extra year of experience at center. I, I think they could both be good players in the NFL. It, this is just a true blue camp battle. Um, and, and we'll see how that all shakes out. But Falcons aren't, aren't a new to offensive line camp battles. We've had one freaking every year for, for the last yeah. like six years, it seems. Um, all right. So that brings us to our number ones. We have not shared the same storyline heading into training camp, but I'll be surprised if we're different here. What is your number one? Quarterback. There you go. And, yep. and, so, and so for me, when I say quarterback, I mean Desmond Ritter. Yep, I think you <laughs> probably know what Marcus Mariota is at this point in his career. I think Arthur Smith knows what Marcus Mariota is. I think they feel really good about Marcus in the locker room and feel okay about Marcus on the field. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe Arthur Smith, when he says that Marcus has grown and he has grown and they're going to be better together than they were in 2019, when the Titans benched Mariota and let him walk in favor of Ryan Tannehill. Um, but there is a ceiling on that. So mm-hmm. yes, can Desmond Ritter, you know, get to that ceiling or beyond and get on the field I think he's. I think they've got to play Desmond Ritter in some significant snaps. I think almost certainly they start Desmond Ritter at some point. So I think the conversation I'm having in my head is where on the spectrum does that happen? Does it happen mm-hmm. in week 15 when everything has been decided, but you just got to get a look at the young guy and see what you got? Yeah. Does it happen? You know, is he a whole lot better than everybody in the NFL thought? And it happens in week one or two. Or more likely for me, my landing spot is that seven game stretch to start the season is tough. Then you get to a you get to that eight, nine, and ten, which includes yep. the Panthers twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. If I if you if you made me circle, if you said to me, Desmond Ritter is going to start this season at some point, circle his first NFL start. For me, it would be that eighth game against the Panthers. But I want to see that's that's just a me looking at it and reading tea leaves. Mm-hmm. I want to see how it actually plays out in training camp. Yeah, and that just that just guarantees that it'll be week four against the Browns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. These things never play out the way we uh, we expect them to. But yeah, you you really hit kind of exactly where my head was with all of this, which is I I have faith in Marcus Mariota's floor. Like, I think he's got a relatively high floor in this league. I just don't know if he's got the highest ceiling. And frankly, I have my doubts that his ceiling, the Marcus Mariota ceiling is even higher than Matt Ryan's floor. So like, I I think that there's even, even if we get good Marcus Mariota play, I think that it's going to be a clear step back from what they've gotten out of the quarterback position in, you know, since Matt Ryan's been around. So there will be some factor, especially if the team is not winning, which you mentioned their first seven games, brutal, like really tough. If they're not winning coupled with, if Marcus Mariota is maybe not even the issue, and maybe if you're the coaches you're looking at and you're like, Marcus isn't necessarily helping us overcome stuff, but he's not the issue here. 
when does the crowd, when do the fan base really start to like heat up the Desmond Ritter call for um, him to become the starting quarterback? But we're talking about training camp specifically, and it seems like Desmond Ritter is ahead of the curve learning wise mentally, but yeah, that's kind of what I expected out of somebody who started as long as he did in at Cincinnati at the college level in a, in a pretty well-regarded scheme right. and yeah. took them to the power to the conference or the playoff, you know, the college yes. football playoff and played against Alabama and played against, you know, Georgia and, and big teams. He kind of should be with it. You know, Kellen Moore is, is an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And I kind of view them almost as like similar college players. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Right. My, my question with, with Desmond Ritter was always athletic. Like, his consistency as a passer, I think. And, and that's not just going to happen overnight. And that's where I think the Falcons are being smart in praising him in the way that they can praise him because it allows yes. them to maybe over just blow past what he's not doing super well out there. Uh, you know, what have you seen on the field from Desmond Ritter? I think I've seen what they've said. Um, he does feel like he does seem in command and he can make, I, I think every throw you need him to make, but it is mm-hmm. the consistency of the accuracy. That was the question coming in. That will be the question until he does it um, in live action in the NFL and coaches being coaches. They want to see it more consistently on the practice field before they feel comfortable, like giving him a shot on the game field. So at what point do they see enough of it to where they feel comfortable pulling the trigger to let him, to let him, to give him a shot? Well, there's no worries about consistency when it comes to Josh and podcast. This is the second time I believe you've joined me and, and both times have been great. So Josh, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me. Is there anything else you would like to add before I let you go? No, I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. That was, that was fun. I'm actually, uh, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to training camp, a weekend of training camp. I'll regret saying that, but right now I'm looking forward to training camp. <laughs> Yep. And I'll be up there for a, for a few practices. So we will have to meet uh, in person eventually, but everybody please follow Josh uh, on Twitter at Josh, the athletic Josh are, do no other Josh's work work at the athletic? Are you the only Josh? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. There's so many people. I can't be, there's gotta be another. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just trying to picture some dude up in like Montana. Who's upset with you at getting the, at Josh, the athletic handle. Um, (laughs) but no, this was, this was great. Uh, I really appreciate it, and we'll have to do it again soon. Thanks for having me. That will do it for today's episode. Thanks again to Josh Kendall for hopping on and, and breaking down all of those training camp storylines with me. Speaking of training camp, we will be kind of back in full swing once a week more consistently as we roll up into training camp, which starts... It's right around the corner, guys. It'll be the end of July. Uh, And so I will be up at a couple of practices uh, during training camp. So I will be able to give you guys some feedback directly on how the the team is looking out there. Ovi uh, will probably be up there as well. So you'll get that. Ovi should be kind of coming back more regularly now that we are getting, you know, back in the swing of things. He and I have been talking a bit more uh, just about, you know, when he's going to be have the time, you know, really to, to, kind of come back in uh, on a more consistent basis. But certainly once the season comes back, you guys will at least be getting uh, the post game breakdowns with OV and I uh, again this year. And then usually on, on Thursdays, we will try to do a preview of that week's game, whether it's OV and I uh, and a guest OV and I just the two of us or me and a guest 
that'll probably change week to week, depending on everybody's availability, depending on how the team's doing, all of that stuff, the matchup, of course. But yeah, that's a that's a little bit of the lay of the land for what's kind of coming down the pipe in terms of this podcast. Please let everybody know where they can find us, which is wherever you get your podcasts. Um, like, subscribe, rate, review. I don't myself use Apple, but I did go over there, check out our page. Um, all five-star reviews. So thank you guys so much for, for doing that and the kind words um, that you all left in the comment section. It really means a lot to me that you have continued to listen to this podcast. Or if you took a break and came back, welcome back. Um, if you've been here the whole time, thank you guys so much. As always, today's podcast is presented by Bet Online. Uh, we will see you guys soon. Training camps right around the corner. Get excited. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.